Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. Today, I'm here with Danilo Lewis. Hi guys. <laughs> so originally you were born in Nicaragua. Maryland. Oh, Nicaragua. Yeah, that's where I was born. Yeah. Uh, but then moved to Puerto Rico with my parents, and grew up there, and also in uh, Antigua in the Caribbean, mm -hmm. and then migrated to DC. Oh, at what age were you in DC? I got to DC when I was 14ish, um, around there. Okay. Here. Yeah. And were you already interested, like were you already a like, creative person or a parent's creative? Uh, my mom is an artist, uh, she's a painter, so she very very early on got me into art, painting, drawing, so I think that's where I guess my creative side got started. Mm -hmm. um, also she mean, she always had the cameras, oh, she wow. loved taking photos, so I would always like from time film? to time, yeah film cameras, yeah. and from time to time I would just steal them. <laughs> without her knowing and then one day she would realize where's my camera and just have to look in my room the <laughs> I love yeah. that and then what were you taking photos of when you were stealing them just like anything to be honest anything I think I started taking photos of plants and flowers that As migrated to all maybe all the like, stars like <laughs> yeah. always a zoom in of a flower yeah yeah it was super macro flowers <laughs> and then um, my dogs growing up <laughs> And um, yeah, and then that's sort of, yeah, that's how I started. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I was trying to remember if there was anything specific that I um, photographed but at, the, at the beginning, but I guess a lot of landscaping. Did you realize from the onset that you wanted to make photography your career? No. So I had, I mean, I want to say it was a more, more of a late bloomer to photography once I realized that I could do this for a living. I always liked it. It was a hobby. Um, once I got, I guess, a little better, I stopped photographing plants and photograph all this stuff, you know, landscaping and mm. portraits and things like that. But it was always just for fun. I had a day job for the longest time. and This uh, was before you went to University of... No, this Maryland. is uh, during, well, I mean, after college. Oh, after college. Yeah, Wait, I mean, what did you study at college? Uh, business. Oh, did, okay. Uh, yeah. And um, that sort of... But yeah, it was always just a, a hobby. I never really thought of it as a career. Um, my mom was an artist, was like, you know, she was an artist for her career, but I never really thought that that's what I would do or be. Mm -hmm. um, what did you think you were going to do with a business degree? I guess anything. Uh, well, I was doing finance after college. Yeah. Uh, I worked for a financial firm and um, photography started happening. Um, I had a friend of mine who was a DJ who was starting out and, you know, I was always that friend with the camera. Whenever yeah. we were out, parties or whatever it was we were out, I always had a camera on me. And he asked me to come shoot for him. Obviously, I was going to help him out as one of my best friends. I did. And that sort of sparked the interest where I was like, oh, people get paid to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, you can actually make money out of this. And little by little, it just sort of built from there. Did you, looking back, do you think having a business degree helped you with your photography, maybe some like finance or marketing stuff like now? I, I think it helped me, I think it helped me once I settled out of my job where, you know, I knew the direction I needed to take, I knew the things I needed to do to sort of 
establish myself like contract wise and um, how businesses handle I guess uh, photography wise um, you know with contracts and invoicing and um, anything that's related to that mm -hmm. um, yeah I, I think I had a little bit of a leg up in that department, but I, I mean, it's still trial and error with a lot of when you start yeah. talking to clients and trying to figure out what rates you're going to charge and, yeah. you know, where that's going to lead and the conversations you need to have. They're not always the most pleasant of conversations at the beginning because you're not used to telling people or asking people for money. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously, as time goes on, you get more comfortable. But I think, yeah, I had a little bit of a leg up in that department. While you were doing your, like, finance jobs, you were working other jobs. Is that when you were working for, like, shooting for nightclubs and stuff? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, while I had my day job, um, that's when I started doing nightclub stuff, nightlife. The, my friend was a DJ, he was DJing at this club, and his promoter asked me to come in and take photos yeah. of his club, one of his clubs. And he was one of the guys who essentially got me my start because I eventually, as his clubs got kept getting bigger and bigger, he eventually opens up Echo Stage, mm -hmm. becomes number one club in America. And because of them, I got essentially an opportunity to, one, shoot a festival every single night. Yeah. M massive production, massive artists coming in and gave me that opportunity to really learn you know, the aspect of how, how much is involved in not just, let's say, a nightclub, but artists who are coming in, touring artists, visuals, lighting, audio, like everything that surrounds, I guess, like a tour. And it was like you know, prime education, I would say, mm -hmm. for EDM scene. Yeah, and how did you teach yourself all this? Um, trial and error. A lot of practice, a lot of shooting every single day. Um, Obviously, I got a little bit spoiled with the clubs that I was shooting at. Obviously, they had a lot of production, big, big production. Um, they also, but it was like anything, if there was something I didn't understand, I was lucky enough that I had a lot of friends at the beginning who kind of helped me out if there was something I, you know, I wanted to try or I thought their editing was better or their technique of shooting something was better. They, I, I, I'm one of the lucky few that can say that I had I don't want to say mentors, but mm -hmm. friends that along the way always helped me out to get to like where I wanted to be. That's as far as quality of the work was. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, wait, so what year? How? What year was this? How long ago? Um, so I started ten years ago. This is my year ten. Um, I went full time as a photographer five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, this probably started about six or seven years ago, where. It became serious. Um, obviously, I was taking the jobs more serious. Obviously, my mind was away from my day job and more into this photography world because I could tell that this is where I wanted to go. Yeah. And back then, what was the style of, what was EDM, the the style of EDM photography? Because I think it actually has changed over the years. Like now, I just feel like a, like the style is... It, it's I kind of describe, but you know what I mean? It's yeah. changed. So like I, back then, it was really contrasted color. Now it's like bluish orange t hues you know what I mean so yeah I want to say I mean when I started obviously the biggest name was always Rooks and I guess his style was always taken or I guess molded Very a lot flush. of the younger yeah, yeah. Um, but it I mean you know, it's I guess it set up a set a precedent of what the work should look like because he was obviously the top photographer and a lot of people coming up in that in that moment where EDM was blowing up 
EDM photography was blowing up. It was like, okay, like how can we emulate what's the best work out there? And the, but yeah, as, as anything, you know, it kind of evolves. People start bringing in their own styles. I, th- I would say at the beginning, there was a lot of also like grainy, gritty oh, photos. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it's because it was a lot of these nightlife guys who started to get jobs in touring. But you were getting that nightlife sort of look into a touring world. Mm-hmm. And you got those super grainy photos, super flash in your face kind of photos. Yeah. And then obviously festivals starts to explode and I guess that's where like a turn into the kind of festival photography gets taken into touring now mm-hmm. I mean that's how I mean, for the longest time before I started touring I was doing the big festival circuits from music festivals EDM festivals and um, were you was it like through a media pass or were you like contracted by them so um, when my first festival job was Electric Zoo and I was hired by the festival through made event, I believe. I'm pretty sure that's what it was right now. Um, oh, so they found you just from word of mouth, or the no, the direct the director for marketing and the, who was the lead photographer for Electric Zoo contacted me through another friend of mine who was part of the team at that time. Oh, okay. Yeah, and kind of hired me just I guess yeah word of mouth from friend to friend I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was my first one. That was 2013. And from then on, it was like that same team sort of morphed eventually. Um, started doing more festivals, more festivals. Oh, so it was like a group of you guys? Yeah, eventually it turned into um, a live coverage that I was a member of for a little bit. And uh, we started doing that. You know, they, they started a live coverage, I think, I don't know, three years before I started. And then I joined them and did their whole festival circuit with them. Everything from music festivals to EDM festivals, even country music festivals. <laughs> yeah, which are a lot of fun, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, and I think, to be honest, I think my photography, when I, once I took it into the touring side of it, um, it, you know, it came from how I shot festivals. You know, I, I looked into concerts and shooting them like I did a festival. And obviously that has changed now. Everything just keeps evolving, you know, mm-hmm. trying to keep how things look fresh. So, yeah. When you were doing all these festivals or like at Echo Stage, were you networking with the artist team already or did they not Every really single know? time. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I always tell people, if you have the chance to shake somebody's hand backstage, do it. Introduce yourself. Yeah. Someone there is connected with somebody, whether it's the artist, the artist manager, the artist agent, their friend, whoever. There's, there's somebody there. Go up and say hello. That's that's the easiest way to really grow into this business. And a lot of people overlook it. And I can understand it's a little bit scary to go out and meet these artist managers who are big, have a lot of clients. Um, this art, the artists themselves who are hanging out back there, like you know, they, you get starstruck. But you just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Or so, also sending your photos to the team, or not? Just introducing. I would introduce myself first, and obviously since I was working with the team. We could always provide photos for them if they didn't have any artists, and obviously that helped. You know, mm-hmm. if you have that connection where it's like, hey, I'm already working for the festival. We're already going to be doing photos for you guys. If you need anything, obviously we'll provide the photos. Yeah. The festival will provide the photo regardless. So it's always better if you just went out and did it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So which was the first artist you worked with? My very first artist was a house music DJ, 
His name was Wally Lopez. Mm-hmm. Or his name is Wally Lopez. <laughs> um, he's the first guy to message me on Instagram and ask me if I wanted to come shoot a show. And I said yes. And that's how, like, little by little, he gave me that shot to kind of see that touring world, whether I wanted to go. This was very early on. Um, and I got a little taste of what it was like to follow an artist, what it was like to photograph a tour. And obviously back then, I didn't know anything. Yeah. I just, I just went with how the artist was going. If we went somewhere, if he asked for photos, I took the photos, you know. And, I mean, I always remember being nervous to, uh, you know, trying to capture what content am I going to capture? What photos should I take? You know, there's private time. Should I take photos that's of what, that? That's the difficult, most difficult yeah. part I'm, I've learned. And at the <laughs> beginning, it was like, I was scared to just take my camera. I was like, oh, well, he's... Like in with a conversation friends, with this right. person, yeah. And now it's completely different. Now, quiet time is the best time. <laughs> take your camera out, you know, stand in a corner. Don't be so visible, but, you know, still take snap away. You're going to love having those photos at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. Who was the next artist after that? Well, after that, I, I, that's when I started essentially doing the whole festival circuit world where, oh. you know, I did BPM Festival, Electric Zoo, that turned into Mysteryland, Firefly, Mr. Festival, Hangout, um, EDC, New York. Um, I mean, there's so many other more. So I'm trying, I'm spacing out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that I did, um, and then um, I met. I, I started because of Echo Stage. I obviously was meeting a lot of artists, and there was a few that would come to me like, "Hey, like, if there was a festival nearby, yeah. they would ask." You know, I would always send emails out. I was like, hey, you're going to be at this festival. It's close to me. We'd love to shoot it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the first ones was like uh, Above and Beyond. I did uh, DJ Snake really early on. Actually, with that, don't they have their own photo- in-house photographers already? DJ Snake? Yeah. At that time, they didn't. Oh. They only had his videographer, Charlie, who has been with him for forever. Um, but I did uh, like EDC Orlando with them. I did work with uh, Tritonal, and but these were just one-offs, you know. But they were like just just the festival one-offs. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't call it like really touring in that moment. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say the first touring experience I had was with EDX. We did a bus tour with him, and I got to see like what that life was like, um, the day-to-day grind of of a tour. You know, a lot of people think it's super glamorous. It's, crazy parties going it's like you don't you know it's like you show up to a place you gotta start working you gotta start shooting you have you know rehearsals you have sound check you have meet and greets VIPs shooting all this stuff you know the friends are coming over there's all that behind the scenes stuff and then obviously you got the show mm-hmm. and then you gotta go to the next city and do it all over again so how did you meet the chain smokers so I met them in DC through the same promoter that I was working at. He yeah. came to, they were, they came to this tiny club that I used to work at. Famous club, you know, a lot of the most, the biggest DJs in the world came through this club. And I didn't know them at the time. The promoter told me about this selfie song that was, I mean, I, had, I think it had just come out. It was, it didn't, it wasn't the selfie that people know now. It was just a song. Um, photographed the show, it was a hell of a show. Well, so you're really their first Another first. Um, In house? No. N- no, no, no. Um, they've had other guys before me, 
but um, I'm, that's just when I met them. I oh, wasn't okay. working for them then, I was working for the club. Yeah. Um, and then a year, or not, not a year, but like later that summer at Electric Zoo 2014, I want to say. Yeah, 2014, um, I was assigned to the stage they were playing at. They were obviously one of the headliners of that stage. And uh, this was during the year that Electric Zoo had a complete media blackout, no yeah. outside photographers. So it was only the only photos being taken were by the photo team. That's it. Yeah. And uh, I met um, one of their managers, and he, when they came up to me, I was like, "Hey, I introduced myself." Like I always say, "Introduce yourself." Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I told them who I was, what I did, and they were just like, "Can we please have some fire photos?" And I immediately I was just like, "Done, no problem." And I mean, it was an insane set. It only lasted 30 minutes because it got cut off because yeah. of rain. But it was a fire 30 minutes. I went back to the trailer, edited the photo. I knew exactly what three photos I wanted to edit right away. I come out of the trailer and I see the guys are still there. Their whole team, Chainsmokers Management, PR, everybody's still there. Friends, they're all there. And I went straight to their, the guy I had talked to. His name is Ennis. And I showed him the photo and I said, hey, here are your photos. Right after the festival. Mm -hmm and they ended up liking them. And after that, I just proceeded to just email him almost every other week about hiring me to shoot them. Really? I took, yeah. I pestered him till he finally hired me. <laughs> Does that work? Sometimes I feel like, oh, I don't want to be too aggressive, but I guess sometimes it, people don't really think of it that. I feel like we think about it more when you're pestering someone than the actual person. Yeah, and what I would say is there's gonna be two outcomes. You're either gonna get a no, or you're gonna get a yes. But you can't get to the yes without actually doing it. Mm, I love so, that. while it may seem like it's too much, you have to understand at the end of the day, you're trying to run a business, you're trying to get your career going. It's a chance you have to take, and if you don't take it, you're never gonna find out whether it would have been a yes. So, I'd rather know that it was a no, and also I'd rather know that I did it and I got it. They offered me like this small weekend tour, and I got a small taste of what, how the guys were the way they are, um, especially when there's, I mean, there's shows. I remember the, that club show, and I just think about, let's say, Lollapalooza Chicago that we just did, and it's the same energy I remember from that first show. Oh, wow. The yeah, same I heard energy. they're amazing on stage, and, yeah. And, you know, people always tell me, it's like, how is it? I'm like, you know, these guys, personality-wise, have not changed. They're the same guys that I met the first time. They're still the same guys now. And what's even crazier to me is the level energy they put in, whether it was a 250-person show, you know, six years ago, or, yeah, five, six years ago, or a massive major festival. It was still the same energy. I mean, you got to love that. Yeah. And what, what stories do you have? Uh, stories, let's see. <laughs> um, one of my favorite stories is uh, from uh, last year Europe tour. Uh, we made a post about it. Um, I always bug Alex that I want him to jump. Because Drew is always the one doing yeah. the jumping. And I would always tell him, I was like, man, you can't have, you can't give, let, let have Drew all the glory. You gotta give me one jump, one jump. And uh, I kept bugging him for about a week that I wanted this jump. <laughs> it, it took me that long to get to convince him to do it. And to be honest, he had done other jumps while I wasn't around, so I was very jealous. <laughs> I was like, how could you, you did a jump when I wasn't there, what's going on here? <laughs> but he finally agreed to it, and here's the funny part. I had just gotten a tattoo on my finger, this tattoo on my finger. 
it was maybe two days before. So it was fresh, obviously painful if anything touched it. And he looked at me, he pointed, it's happening right now. And I was like, I'm ready, I'm ready, let's go. I go up, pull up the monopod, I go up with the camera, and the monopod hits it. And the moment it hits it, I drop the monopod, because it hurt. So I was just like, oh, and I missed the shot. And it happened, he jumped, and I missed the shot completely. And he like comes down, he's like, yes, I nailed it, big jump. And I'm just standing at the bottom of the stage, just like, good job, bud, you did it. <laughs> We have absolutely no record of it. <laughs> Our videographer at the time, he recorded the whole thing. Oh, phew. He recorded my reaction where I was looking at the camera like, oh, nope, I didn't get it. <laughs> I did not get that shot. That's so um, funny. And it became just like this funny thing because after that, I, obviously I kept asking him for it. Yeah. I was like, hey, can we do it one more time? One more time. And it took me another three days to convince him to do it. But we did it. It happened. I got the shot. We had the glory, everything was great, but we still have that video of me missing a shot. So it's okay, you miss a shot sometimes. Yeah. It happens. How did you meet Steve Aoki? Uh, met him through AcroStage as well. A lot of the artists that I've worked with, I've met through, obviously, AcroStage. Mm -hmm. And then some of them have been, like, word of mouth, where it's like, you know, I've done work with A, B, C, D, E artists, mm -hmm. so they've kind of... They put the puzzle pieces together yeah. and like sort of contacted me through that. Mm -hmm. And that's how it was. His uh, tour manager, Dylan, hit me up, asked me if I wanted to join in some dates. And I was like, of course. And what most people don't know about that, and I told Steve the last time I saw him was, is that the first ever concert I photographed was a Steve Aoki oh, concert. Oh, that's so surreal to actually yeah. be like on it. Yeah, that's and awesome. I even, I even showed him a photo of, because I actually took a photo with him at, um, at that concert <laughs> like a fan and I literally, yeah like a fan I just because I, I, I was a fan you know I was like yeah. I love the music I loved all these artists and that's what kind of piqued my interest and I had this photo that I, I legit had to like go deep into my Facebook to find like many yeah. years and what's funny is obviously no beard a lot younger and what's the funniest part about that photo is that Steve looked the same oh, 10 years ago he did now ages. yeah and it's incredible um, but yeah, it was like, it was so, it, I mean, it, it was a funny feeling being able to show him that. Obviously, he'd never realized that I had, you know, artists get, you know, they're yeah. doing a lot of stuff. They can't always remember everybody. But I, it was funny just to be able to show him that and be able to see it now, like, full circle. Like, hey, yeah. I did this show, first show, 10 years ago to where I'm at now. It was actually pretty surreal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you have a story from when you tour? with uh, Nikki Romero from before. <laughs> yeah, so um, I met Nikki in Taipei, officially met him in Taipei. Oh, wow. And he came up to me and, was, and told me that he enjoyed, that he really liked the work I was doing with uh, Drew and Alex. And oh, so he's a fan of you. <laughs> I don't want to say that. <laughs> I said it's I was, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, but he came up and was like, hey, I really like what you do. Uh, and I was like, you know, I was like, man, I love what you do. You know, great to finally meet. And, and I think it might have been like a week after that, he messaged me again and, was, and asked me if I was available to do um, an Asia tour with him. Um, if I could do like, you know, the same sort of looks. And I was like, of course, you know, definitely go into it. And that's when I found out um, how involved Nikki really is about the way his photos look and mm -hmm. the process, or, you know, what, the pro what, what it takes to edit, what it takes to select photos, you know, what kind of photos. Um, and it, it was really cool to see how involved he is 
in, in, in that creative department. You know, a lot of artists leave, you know, or just give full creative freedom. They don't care, come in, take your photo, post this way, post that way. And that's really all about it. Um, and it was actually really cool to see how involved he was. Yeah. You know, he wanted to be part of the process. He wanted to learn what that process was. And being like sitting there like after, let's say, a show, and him sitting there like actually wanting to learn as much as, you know, wanting to be a part of like, have a say on what was being edited. So you're was actually him also? A little bit. Yeah. I want to say, cool. uh, I did teach him a little bit. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was kind of also cool to see that he himself is a photographer. Most people don't know that. Yeah, know? I didn't um, know that. Yeah, so, I mean, there was one funny, one time where he was, we were talking about gear. He loves gear. And it was telling the Sony A9 had just come out. And obviously, he had one of the first ones. Obviously. With, you know, amazing lens and everything. And he brought it to a Vegas gig we were doing. And he was just like, hey, do you want to play with this? I was like, Hell of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, and obviously, it was like a little, we're digging at each other, which one was better, whether the Canon 1DX or the Sony A9. Yeah. Because I shoot with everything Canon. So it was kind of funny to see that, in, to have that interaction with him, to be like, all right. Which is better? Which one do you think works better? Should you switch to Sony? Should you keep Canon? And at the end, I stay with Canon. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how would you describe, because you've also uh, toured with Zed and stuff, like how do you describe his personality for people who haven't met him in I, person? I, I always love to say this about Anton Zed, is that he's one of the funniest guys to tour with. Mm -hmm. I, I think, and actually it's not that I think, but I know, after seeing, like I did a Coachella run with him, both weekends of Coachella plus a California tour, and I got to hang out with him and all his friends from Germany. And it was really amazing to see an artist, one, keep his long, long time friends close like that. Oh, yeah. But two, how his humor is because of, you know, those friends. Like, you're funny because of your friends and being able to see him, like, you know, with his guard down where he's making jokes about everything and being able, you know, I don't want to say a prankster, but like, you know, doing little things like... Like cheeky. Yeah, right. Little ch little cheeky jokes, which is, you know, to me is amazing. It's, you know, I've been following Zed for a long time, been a fan of his for a long time. And it was really great to see how down to earth he is and how close he keeps those friends of his, you know. And I feel like he treats his team just like that. Oh, wow. The same way he has his friends, I feel like he treats his entire team from tour manager, video, lighting, photo, everything, the exact same way, which is amazing. What equipment do you have now, or do you use? I still use all Canon. Yeah. I started with Canon, it was one of those things where I started buying lenses, and when I, once you start buying lenses, it's kind of hard to go yeah, away from I'm that. Canon. <laughs> yeah, um, and I use a 1DX Mark II, all L-series lenses, you know, the trifecta of everything, 16, 35, 24, 70, 70, 200. Do you travel with all this or what's the... I, I, my bag is heavy. What? My bag is super Are you ever heavy. scared? Like, gosh, if it was stolen? Like, I don't even want to say that, but me, when I travel <laughs> around Asia, I'm like, yeah, let's um, I've never been scared. There, I mean, there's been a few times where I will leave my camera bag in the green room where it's locked. Yeah. Just because I may not want to leave it on stage. But nowadays, uh, stages are closed, so it's, I feel pretty secure leaving, putting my camera in certain places. There's always somebody watching, I would say that. Whether it's a stage manager, production manager, um, 
somebody's watching. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not afraid of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I try not to think about it. I think I'm trying to concentrate on this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Although now it's going to be in my head. No, I'm like, sorry. oh no. I know, that's why I'm always like so sober holding all my cameras, like yeah. no one touch. Um, um, yeah, but I, the way my setup is, I, you know, I have a harness. Yeah. I have a, a lens pouch belt that I keep everything on me. So for the majority of the show, it's always on me. Oh, it's yeah. never just sitting somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's everything, but it's like, it's heavy, heavy yeah. bag. There's go, been a few yeah. times that uh, cert, like we get picked up from the airport or from a hotel going to the venue, and somebody will grab my bag, yeah. and they just their reaction is always like, "Whoa, this is very heavy." I'm like, "I know, I know." <laughs> and actually, going back to what we were talking about earlier, how did you figure out um, negotiating and figuring out your rates? Just like just with anything, it just takes time. You know, it's, you will never have the right answer at the beginning. That takes time. Um, you learn from your losses. You also learn from your gains. Um, as I like to tell whenever I get messages about especially rates or finding work, I always start and I end my advice or whatever I say with the same thing, which is just have to be patient. Let the process take its course. Because there, there are no right answers. Yes, there are some good answers, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for you the same way it worked for me. So it's just a matter of how you approach the client, how you approach your work, how you approach finding work. Not, not everyone's going to be the same way. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, yeah, it may work the same way I did it, and more often than not, it won't work, but you're going to find your way. And it mm -hmm. just, just takes patience. Actually, with all the... The touring, you do you, you negotiate like the whole tour at a time, right? Yeah. So actually, your job has a lot of stability in a way because you're doing it's like kind of like contract work compared yeah. to like people who just work daily and gives like one-off yeah. projects. Yeah, I mean, I, I still do some one-off projects here yeah. and there, but I have a set rate for certain things now, um, so I go with that. But yeah, it is it is good to have you know the longevity of a tour where I know for months. From September to December, what I'm getting paid and how much I'm getting paid. I don't yeah. have to worry about that. Same thing for like now. Like I, the rate has already been agreed upon, so it's already set. I already know that that's that. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, even I still get you know messages and emails, clients wanting to shoot on a daily basis, and you know you got to work. There are budgets. There are my budgets. There are budgets. Sometimes both are the same sometimes they're not and it's just a matter of like how you negotiate that obviously you want to get the best you can out of your work and are you worth uh, but it's always good to at times work with the client you know I don't want to say that that's what you should do all the time but I always um, I have a thing a little saying where I always say like you know what sometimes it's good to give them one and in return you're always going to get more yeah you know? um, sometimes it's just best to keep that build that relationship over not building it just because of money mm -hmm. you know? yes the money is great yes having a specific grade is good but there are times to me like building a relationship is much more important than losing that relationship mm -hmm. and also like I think a lot of artists go through like mental problems from like or anxiety like touring for so much is that that you see like when you tour with these artists yeah and have you felt it yourself as far as the artists, you know, it's funny, like, there are times because this is what they love to do that you don't see it, mm. you know. They were, I would say this, like, when we did a tour in 2017, the arena tour with the Chainsmokers, to me, I saw these guys every day, 
I saw them wake up at the same time, have breakfast at the same time, go to the gym at the same time. Everything was so routine and that you don't realize how exhausting it may be for them. Mm. You know, This was Drew's first time where he was a lead singer. He was singing every day. I had no idea about voice exhaustion you know like that I, I didn't know that was a thing yeah and it wasn't until I saw the documentary that it hit me I was like I had no idea that he was depressed I had no idea that he was going through this emotions because of how tired he was mm-hmm. you know and it's like sometimes you see it sometimes you don't and um, I mean I mean even for me like I have um, there's this uh, uh, guy Aubrey Wright who used to be Martin Garrix's tour manager who I would like to consider him a a mentor because he has helped his words have helped me understand certain things like small words he would say to me small little phrases that sort of guided where I took my touring and I never really realized it I never really given him credit in that sense where mm-hmm. I'm like you know you said this to me in like four years ago and I took that to heart and I did it because you told me I should do this and I've never said that out loud <laughs> until right yeah. now I'm just realizing this now oh, that's awesome um and one of the things I remember he posted a while ago was, you know, it was the message wasn't to touring people. The message was to friends. He said, friends of touring crews, remember, we go through some insane highs during a tour because you're doing what you love. You're in the moment. Everything is so crazy. The shows are insane. And then when you come home, all that stops. Yeah. There's nothing. And he was like, you know, people go through post-tour you know, I don't want to say depression because that's such a harsh word, but some some do. Mm-hmm. And I did find myself after my first big tour, where I was sitting at home just thinking to myself, "What now? Like, what? Mm-hmm. Where is this? Where do I go from here? Like, what do I do today?" You get so used to having such a routine that you find yourself trying to find answers that aren't there at that moment, and you kind of feel depressed because you're not working, and you just gotta you just have to pick yourself up and remember that as from a photographer's perspective as a freelancer you have to think of the next day for your job you have to think of the next day for your paycheck so you got to get back on it but you do go through it mm-hmm. what would you say have been the biggest challenges in your career so far biggest challenge i would say it's such a changing world media wise mm. as far as how people take that media in obviously currently we're in the instagram world yeah where everything's super instant everything it's in the now like after a show's done within an hour i have show photos ready because it's fresh it's like you want to you don't want to wait two three days because then the moment's gone yeah the day is gone um so it's just the biggest challenge i guess is adapting to those changes you know sometimes i used to joke that um I was never a fan of Instagram and I I dreaded having to do work because of Instagram but you have to adapt you have to evolve it just is what it is that's the medium now and that medium at some point will change and you're going to have to adapt to that change so I would say that's probably the biggest challenge is trying to keep up with that changing world of how you're you know people are consuming what you're creating and what the artist is sharing and it's the same thing for them just now it's the streaming world you know oh yeah Last question, what do you want to be remembered for? Wow, I was not ready for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What would I like to be remembered for? Okay, Um, I recently, like within the past year, I decided that 
I wanted to help others. And, and that, you know, I wanted to, in my head, I wanted to create this group of guys. Like, I, I take it from this world. I'll start with this. In the, in the NFL coaching world, they always say there's the coaching tree. There's one first coach and then all these coaches that as everybody became successful, more and more people became successful. Mm. And I wanted to start sharing what I know because I wanted to start that tree. You know, I wanted to start seeing um, these kids become successful on their own by giving them advice, by helping, mentoring them. You know, I have a friend of mine who was working with an, a DJ and he came to me because he had an offer on the table, but he was afraid to leave that relationship with the DJ. And you know, sometimes the words that you want to hear aren't always the best words. You know, the, the advice you want to hear isn't always the best advice. You never know whether you're ready for it or not. And when I gave him the advice, you know, it, I, I, it kind of helped settle his, his nervousness, you know, of what the job was going to be. And now he's touring Europe with one of the biggest bands in the world. No way, that's awesome. And I think about it, I'm like, that makes me really happy. Yeah. Because I'm sure at some point he's going to get to the point where I'm at, where he's going to share that knowledge that he learned from me and that he learned from himself. And share And I always tell people, whatever advice I give you, take it. But when it comes time that somebody asks you for advice, mm -hmm. share that advice. Yeah. Pass it forward. It's, that's what I want to be remembered for. At the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I love this. This is so much fun. Thank no. you. No, thank you. <laughs>
certain sobering things in 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 the music industry that will kind of make you feel like I'm successful and there's ones that will make you feel like you're a king so mm -hmm. you just got to fake the rough with this move yeah we have I'd say we're successful yeah right? and, and like stupidly lucky to be able to do it dubstep took a dip and like our own country where, where it's from wouldn't play it on the radio you know it, it was getting no love so for for Josh to have kind of kept playing dubstep even in all of that climate mm. you, know, you, you know when you could have been playing house and other things you know and I'm not naming names I'm not chatting shit I'm just saying like there's a certain amount to be said for acts that don't you know stray too far from the path of the cause so like I always say the same band comes back to them every time but Iron Maiden have done the same record for like 35 years it's always the same branding it's the same type of tunes it's it's like that's why they're they're still relevant and they're still big today and still selling sh shows out because you know they've given their fan base exactly what they want so once you have a fan base which most of have it's really important to not alienate them or push them away and give them stuff that they they don't want or or, or are interested in you know, yeah. you, you know but at the same time is playing to like the people that make you a band you got to keep yourself happy and mm -hmm. fulfilled so it's it's a balance yeah I love balance. this. Yeah, thank you so much. No worries, no worries. <laughs> Bye.